Welcome to episode 10 of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. This week, we take a look at Jordan Spieth's historic run at the Open Championship. We also examine Kyrie Irving's demand to be traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers and analyze the long-term implications for Cleveland, plus the immediate effect on the rest of the NBA. All that, plus a preview of Major League Baseball's trade deadline and a roundup of NFL training camps. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Episode 10 of Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. All right, everybody, welcome to Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. We are back after a very short, uh, little short extra summer break. Michael Elkins here with my co-host, Jeff Kamenetsky. Jeff. Good to be back. What's going on? It's been two weeks, right? Ten days. No, Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, ten days. Because we had that little glitch. Right. We had the the audio difficulty. That audio difficulty. Bad microphone. Which which is never going to happen again. Never going to happen again because we've doubled. Are the mics on? <laughs> you bet. All right. They're on, everybody. They're on. Uh, well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. I want to put that out there right up front. Um, listenership continuing to grow here on Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. Uh, we're really thrilled with everybody that listens. Every single one of you, that whether you click or listen, uh, means a ton to us. Um, you can find us, just so you know. Not on iTunes anymore. It is now Apple Podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, it's its own special portal. Um, you can find us there, Stitcher and Google Play. Uh, let, me get, let me get all our contact stuff out immediately. Uh, you can find us on, find me on Instagram, Melkins1, Twitter, at Melkins31175. And don't forget to listen to me on Anchor. You can find me at Sports and Labor Law Station. Uh, we've got a great show for everybody tonight. Today, if you're listening in the morning, I guess in the morning, um, but it's evening yeah. here in Fort Lauderdale. What, where is it in Tokyo? What is it in Tokyo right <laughs> That's now? That's right, Tokyo. I don't know. Is it? Have we found out yet who is our, our who are our no. audience is there? But but so, if you've listened before, you know that we have this odd thing in in our show statistics that says that we are the second the city, the second largest city that listens to us or our listenership is Tokyo. I think it accounts for like. 13% of our listeners, which is big. Damn. And I put a call out, remember, to the yeah. Tokyo people. Nobody responded. No. Although, Tokyo, if you're listening or anyone else, jmsportspodcast at gmail.com. Um, email us, Facebook at jmsportspodcast as well, everybody. Uh, great show for you tonight. We're going to get into a bunch of different things. But first, um, this day in sports. This day in sports. <laughs> Ah, McKenzie. The dog, the dog is happy about she this. She wants thing this sports. bit. You want to? You want to announce it? You want to announce it? All right. So, what happens in July? Not much in sports, but I'm a big Tour de France guy, and there's usually a winner of the Tour de France this time of year. So, 1999, on this day in 1999, the winner of the Tour de France, first of seven consecutive wins, Lance Armstrong. So, we all know about Lance, and um, you know, I, I obviously Lance has was once a very big sports hero of mine. Has kind of uh, dropped down several notches. Certainly as a person, I don't agree with the things he did. But as an athlete, to me, uh, we know what he did. We also know that the sport was riddled with the same type of behavior and doping, and this probably has been curtailed. But it still is. So he won seven Tour de France's in a row. To me, that's still a phenomenal um, accomplishment. It's been tainted. His name's been taken off. You're not going to. It's all cro- actually crossed out when you look at those at, at those victors uh, every year. But I don't know. You know, my, my I, I still to me he's still something about him to win seven of those races. And look, we have baseball players like Barry Bonds and McGuire who were all their records are tainted because they 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 took performance enhancing drugs, but they were still great players. I think Lance Armstrong was still the greatest cyclist, and what he did was phenomenal. As a person, he was an idiot, and he, he hurt a lot of people's lives. But as an athlete, I still think what he accomplished shouldn't just be obliterated by a line across his name. So, Anna, what do you think? I think um, everybody in that sport was probably cheating when he was cheating or doping. Frankly, they should just make it legal. I mean, we've seen it since Lance. Plenty of other cyclists have been nailed for doping. So that part doesn't bother me as much. The fact of the matter is he was the best of all of them, even when he was doping. 
Um, it's this, the Barry, you know, Barry Bonds was great long before he ever took any drugs. Roger Clemens, I, I take a very sort of hands off, not really phased by those things viewpoint. Um, you know, I'm a big, uh, big CrossFit games fan and Olympic weightlifter. And I think a lot of the athletes in the CrossFit games are probably using something. I really have no problem with that. You still have to be great to begin with. To. My issue with Lance Armstrong is a little different. People came out and said that he was doping, and he sued them, and he ruined regular people's lives, um, and he was bloodthirsty about it, and he lo- and that's where I have a problem with it. He did not sit back and just let the naysayers speak. I mean, he actually bankrupted a couple different families, completely bankrupted them, and it turned out they were right, yeah, and yeah, that's that's yeah. that's I, my problem with Lance Armstrong. I agree with you. That makes him a horrible human being. If he took drugs— in a sport where everybody's taking drugs, that doesn't make you a horrible human being. I think that that's, makes him competitive. I really, I, I don't I, like. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I separate the the person and the athlete. I, I think athletically, what he did can't be ignored. No, not uh, at all. And, and and was he was his performance enhanced? Yes, but I agree with you. I think everybody was doing it, and to do what he did seven times, I think it's phenomenal. As a person, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, and it's kind of like when you strike the name from the record book, that sort of makes me laugh. It's like in the NCAA when there's recruiting violations. You know, they took away uh, the wins from USC that when Reggie Bush played there. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, you, or you, or the Fab Five. You, you can't forget yeah, about it. There's no, there's no banners in Michigan <laughs> from the Fab Five. Like, that's just stupid, in my opinion. And that doesn't really help anybody going forward, frankly. So... Uh, yeah, that was the day in sports, 1999, first of seven Tour de France victories. All right, so let's let's move right through it because we've got a lot of really great topics. First thing we're going to get to is the big news over the weekend. To 99.99 percent of the world, the 0.001 percent is sitting next to me is Jordan Spieth, and what happened at and I'm it's the British Open. Don't I don't want to hear from anybody that it's not the British Open. I know. They say call it the Open Championship. That's ludicrous. It's the British Open. And what happened on the final day at holes 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17? Jeff, what do you, how, what do you think about it? This Talk is, to this is This is uh, my input for tonight's golf discussion. <laughs> that was my input because I don't watch golf. I really don't like golf that much. I don't know anything about golf. I'm not going to try to fake it. I'm going to listen to Mike. He knows about it. And well, listen to what he says because he really was – he paid attention this weekend to this. And I couldn't contribute anything if I wanted. I know something big happened and I know who, who did it. Terrible. But that's about all I can contribute to this discussion. <laughs> Transparency and honesty, everybody. That's what we're, that's what we're about here. So let me, let me preface this. I don't play golf. I've never picked up a golf club in my life. I really don't ever want to play golf. I prefer my sport – of choice is Olympic weightlifting. By the way, I lift Friday night at the Nike American Open Series 2, sponsored by Nike and Rogue. You can find the live stream on the internet. 8 p.m. I lift. Um, men's 77 kilo division, session E. How many, is, how many real pounds is that? Well, that's my weight. Yes. Yeah, I'll be lifting in the 169.8 pounds weight class. Okay. Um, oh, anyway. So I prefer those that type of thing. I don't golf, never have golfed, have no plans on golfing. But I love the majors because the drama, can it can get really intense. And I got to tell you, this was amazing. So if you didn't see it, I'm going to walk you through it. I want to talk about it a little because I just think it was historical. I don't think anyone would disagree with me. It's it, arguably, not arguably, it's the greatest five rounds on a back nine in a major that we've ever seen. And here's here's what happened. Jeff, you can chime in if you're interested at all, but I'm just going to talk for a minute. Uh, so Spieth, Spieth who, who choked away the Masters, and the, even the dog likes Spieth. Spieth, who choked away the Masters in 2016, if you ha- are familiar with sports at all, you remember that. Um, he's kind of gotten a very small reputation for maybe not coming through on the final day. So he is leading all the entire weekend going into the, going into the final day. And he's, um, he's, got Mac, he's paired with Kuchar, Matt Kuchar, who's... Um, was paired with him. It was number two. I think he had a three-shot lead going into the day, and Spieth starts off terrible. Starts off with a with a bogey, um, and it's not looking good. From holes one to twelve, he's he's in rough shape. Kuchar's catching him. He's giving up strokes. Um, it's not looking good. And the talk on Twitter, and even the talk in my the chat with my friends, is it's more of the same for Spieth. Spieth tees off at thirteen, hits a wild shot 
that my, my dog would hit. I mean, he's way off the fairway. He's on a mountain. Not a mountain, but he's on a hill. He's like sitting on a hill. And when they find his ball, between the time they find his ball, it's 22 minutes between the next shot. And this is where the drama happens. And this is what makes Jordan Spieth so great. So he's got multiple options at this point, right? He can, un- he can go back to the tee, and I think he loses two strokes if he does that. He can try to hack it off this hill, which would have been pointless. Or he can take what's called an unplayable. So Spieth calms himself, nerves of steel, and this, and, and again, what made him so great is he knew the rules, right? Spieth, his golf acumen is through the roof, and this proved it. He goes ahead after taking a look at everything and decides to take an unplayable and then takes what they call line of sight, right? He doesn't have any line of sight toward the hole. So under normal circumstances, in 99 out of 100 situations where, high level, where there's high-level golf, and I'm getting this, by the way, from Steve Sands from the Golf Channel from the Tony Kornheiser podcast – which is where I learned all this, 99 out of 100 times, the, the practice range is not in bounds. But on this course, it is. Spieth saw that, and he, would have, he had flat ground at the practice range. So he takes his unplayable, he loses a stroke, he claims line of sight and gets to drop the ball on the practice range. And then has his caddy up on top of the hill <laughs> directing him where to hit the ball and he's Spieth is moving the crowd and then has to move the caddy out of the way who's running up and down this hill with with the golf bags Spieth hits an amazing shot amazing shot to get back to the fairway and saves saves the tournament with a bogey saves the tournament with a bogey I never thought I'd say a bogey was one of the most amazing things I've seen saves it with the bogey on 13 and then he has the next the four greatest rounds ever you think that he's done no he goes birdie 14, hits a 50-foot putt on 15 for eagle. Birdie, birdie, on, birdie on 16, birdie on 17. Birdies are good, right? Birdies are good, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and wins the tournament on 18. Unbelievable. High-level drama. Um, a couple, two things. First, um, people the next day and even that day were saying, well, this was unfair. Kucher had to wait 22 minutes to hit his next shot. This is BS. No. Every, I checked it. According to Steve Sands, at least, every single thing that Spieth did were, was within the rules of golf. He knew the rules. He used them to his advantage. And what a great sportsman sought out Kucher immediately and apologized for the wait, even though he had nothing to apologize for just because he's a sportsman. I call it very Belichickian of Spieth by using the rules to his advantage. And the analogy I would draw is the 2014 AFC Divisional Championship game when the Patriots used those wide rece- those ineligible wide receiver formations, made the offensive lineman eligible, split the back out, and the back was ineligible, and the Ravens didn't know the rule. Patriots followed the rule. Jim Harbaugh complained, and, and the NFL did a whole documentary on the play. It was actually within the rule. The Ravens just didn't know it. The NFL changed the rule after that so that teams couldn't do that anymore. It's the same thing that Spieth did. He did not have a time limit on him. He knew exactly what to do and how to do it. So if people are saying it was unfair to Kucher, they either don't like Jordan's and I'm getting this from Steve Sands too. They either don't like Jordan Spieth or they just don't know what they're talking about. It was all within the rules. It was amazing by Spieth. Amazing to watch him come back. And here's the kicker. 23 years old. He's got three of the four Grand Slams. In a broader perspective, Golf needed this. It needed it more than anything. It's been relatively dead or dying since Tiger. It needed somebody like a Jordan Spieth to be dominant. Now, is he Tiger? Well, he's, he's not there yet. But I got to tell you, for the first time since Tiger, I watched him go from 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And when he drained it on 17 and this thing was over, I said, wow, how very Tiger Woodsian of you, Jordan Spieth. So... Historical, absolutely historical, high drama. Uh, excited to even talk about it. Loved it. Golf needed it. Golf needs Jordan Spieth. I just thought it was great theater. It was really great theater. And kudos to Spieth, who again thanked Kucher in his speech afterwards. It was Belichickian. It was ve- well, the, the use of the rule, the way he knew all the rules and knew that he could go to that, to the, um, 
to the practice area to drop that ball and take line of sight and knew that he wasn't going to be rushed, that he was within the rule. That's what was Belichickian. He knew the rule, just like what Belichick did in that divisional championship game. The rule allowed them to put an O-lineman in as an eligible and check a receiver in as an ineligible. They researched the rule, in fact, and had called the NFL in the preseason and held the play back. Ravens didn't know the rule. And and people complaining about Spieth don't know the rules. So it was great for golf. It was just historical. And I'm not saying he's Tiger, but it's going to be really interesting to watch the PGA Championship coming up. If, if Spieth wins that, then we're having a different discussion. But I think at 23, he's either the youngest or the second youngest to have three of the four majors. That's unbelievable. This guy's got a long, long career ahead of him. Class act. Really enjoyable way to watch, way to watch sports on a Sunday morning. What do you – any – your I, thoughts? I, I thank you for introducing the word Belichick into the American lexicon. I mean, I, I, <laughs> how that term could be used in the same breath as the British Open is amazing how you did that. And uh, I'm starting to think that that's going to become a, a catchphrase, Belichick in um, an off-used term in the, yeah. in the sports world. I think it should be added to Urban Dictionary. I think it's – Well, can we do that? Int- it was introduced today on July 25th. I Mark your calendar. I can't everyone. say that I made it oh. up, though. It's come from, I've heard it from other people, but maybe because of the vast popularity of this podcast, (laughs) Urban, (laughs) Urban, maybe someone in Tokyo is going to use that when they go into work. All right, let's get to, let's get to another topic where Jeff and I can actually go back and forth. Kyrie. Go. Jeff, you're up. Kyrie. So that, first of all, let's see, I'm trying to think if it was a surprise when I heard the news, he wanted to be traded. You know, it kind of took me by surprise for some reason. You know, LeBron and Kyrie, I think of those two guys the same together. And that's probably what prompted Kyrie to make this move because well, a, people think about those two guys, LeBron and Kyrie. I have a question. Yes. I want your thoughts. All right. So apparently the Cavaliers knew about this a few days or maybe a week before it leaked. Do you think LeBron leaked it? And, and I'm gonna, here's why. I'm not, and it's, it's been bantered about. LeBron leaked it or LeBron's people leaked it to make Kyrie look selfish and make LeBron look like, well, I just want to win titles. I don't think so. I don't think so. I Look, I, I don't think so. I think Kyrie Irving, he won a championship, all right? But he is joined at the hip with LeBron James. And, you and s- not by choice. You know, no, but you see this, and the guy wants to be the king. No pun intended. He wants to be the guy. Look, Russell Westbrook was in Durant's shadow. Agree? He was in Durant's shadow, and I think he. You went, mean Durant was in Russell's shadow? No, no, no. Durant was the guy. And, okay. And, okay. And Russell was in his shadow, and and Durant left, and Russell had a tremendous MVP year. Look, Irving is doing what uh, athletes want to do. He wants to be the guy to be a leader, and he doesn't want to be in anybody's shadow. I don't think LeBron leaked it. I think Kyrie Irving is a competitor. Well, then how to get out? And, it, and he wants to, how to get out? Yeah, how to get out? Who who let it out? Who let the cat out of the bag that he was demanding a trade? Well, prior to to his, he told management he wanted a trade. Understood. But how did, no get, how did it get out and to I the media? Care. And I don't care. Because to me, it's... Oh, it's, I care because I think that's I a big part think, of this. I think it's a controversy people are making, and it's not a controversy. I think the very simple story that this guy does not want to play any more second fiddle. He's playing second fiddle to the greatest player, but he wants to be number one. I don't see a problem with that. And I don't think there's, there's any kind of devious intent on the part of LeBron. Now, what's, now, what's LeBron going to do? What are the Cavaliers going to do? They signed Derrick Rose. I think Kyrie says he's not winning a championship anymore. LeBron is getting older. The Warriors are the best team in the NBA. He wants to do something and maybe do, do what Russell Westbrook did and, and get the attention Russell Westbrook did. And maybe he winds up... Well, what did Russell... Wait a minute. Hold on. Russell Westbrook didn't do anything. Kevin Durant left. No. no. Russell West, Westbrook stayed. He didn't do anything, I'm saying, but he, he became MVP. He's not winning championships. No, I understand. But remember, Russell Westbrook was furious that Kevin sure. Durant left. I think the analogy would be... If Russell Westbrook had left, demanded to be traded, but Russell Westbrook wanted to stay with Durant. He was That's furious right. at Durant. That's right. So he's no, not I, doing what Russell Westbrook no, he's, did. He's, he, he wants to have the he wants to be the main guy. I, it wasn't by choice. I think Kyrie Irving wouldn't mind being on a team like the Knicks or some other team where he is going to be by far the number one guy. He's, he's going to up his scoring average and all his stats. And he wants to be the number one feature on a team. Do you deny that? I think that's what No, I, I, I agree, but it, I think there's a couple of things to remember here. Number one, when Kyrie re-upped with the Cavs and signed his five-year deal, he had no idea LeBron was coming back. It was before. In fact, LeBron coming back was a big surprise. And at the Cavs GM at the time, Griff, David Griffin, had said, 
we're going to build this team around you, Kyrie. But once LeBron came out of nowhere and decided to come back to Cleveland, all that changed. And what I've heard from Windhorst and some of the other NBA reporters is that that miffed Kyrie. That really, but he said, look, I'll go, I'm going to go along with the program. I signed a five-year deal. I'm going to do it. Reports out of Cleveland are that LeBron is furious about this. Furious that he he doesn't um, he does not appreciate that Kyrie wants to leave. Apparently, didn't know about it or it wasn't discussed, and that he's angry. And that's why I do think the way that I think this works in the NBA and in sports is that yeah, players use the media, and and what LeBron is trying to position Kyrie as, assuming LeBron leaked this, and I don't know that he did, but I think it matters big time. He's trying to position Kyrie as the diva. You want to be number one. You don't want to. You don't want to play with me. I mean, this is very Kobe esque, Shaq ish in a way. Um, I have no problem with what Kyrie wants to do, but Cleveland's got a big issue because LeBron will not say if he's going to stay or go. So, what do you do with Kyrie? He's under contract for two years. He doesn't. They don't have to trade him. Do you? And here's the thing: you don't know what LeBron's going to do. If Le, if you've got LeBron for more than one year, which you don't know. You trade Kyrie, right? But you're trading him for more established players because you want to try to win in, in the LeBron window. If LeBron's leaving and you know that, you trade Kyrie for a boatload of picks slash younger players, which you could do. But Cleveland's in a little bit of a, of a spot here. Yeah. And here's what was brought up. I don't remember who brought this up. It's not my original thought, but it's interesting. Remember, Dan Gilbert fired the GM, who was, by all accounts, a really good GM. If... If Griff, if David Griffin had still been there, or Griffin had still been there, don't you think he knows about Kyrie and he swings a deal to bring Chris Paul in? I mean, isn't that that's interesting? Yeah, could be. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think there's a lot people are making of this when it's a simple story. Oh, I, I think, think it's a huge issue. I think it's a simple story. I think it's a simple story, but one guy having enough and he wants to go elsewhere and test He's under contract and, and test new waters. This but this is what he wants. He wants to do this and I see no problem. And it's to me it's not a surprise. It's not that I see a problem. I don't think he's wrong, but it's a huge issue if you're running the Cleveland Cavaliers or if you're a, or if you're analyzing this like what do you From do? From their point of view? Yes. You you don't know what LeBron's going to do. So what do you tra- who do you what do you do with Kyrie? First of all, you don't have to trade him. He's under contract for two more years. Do you do you keep him and hope LeBron stays? Because now you've got a you've got a locker room issue, right? I mean, if Big they time. if they can't work together, Big time. okay, then what do you trade him for? I, I think I asked it earlier. Do you trade him for veterans and try to soak one more year out of LeBron and hope LeBron stays, or do you accept the fact that LeBron's out and you know, look, Kyrie's valuable. You can get a boatload of picks. You could rebuild a franchise. He, I think he can rebuild the franchise. Well, then what are you going to do with Le- then you're then, but then you are sealing the fate with Correct. LeBron James. Correct. So and that's what you would do. Yeah. If you're Cleveland, you're giving up on. You're not going to try to retain LeBron. Yeah, you got to try to retain him. He's not staying if you Why? trade Kyrie for picks. We don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's loyal to That's Cleveland the and point. he's going to stay. He's not loyal. Maybe maybe he is. If he was so loyal, you would know that. But I don't think they're going to trade him for picks. They're going to trade him. They can get. I think they can get some established players for him. You got to. He's tough to replace. You're not going to replace him. You get a few good players. This team could still be competitive, but but only for one year. Because once LeBron goes, what are you going to do then? I mean, that's the that's we the don't know problem. What he's doing, so. That's no, and he won't that, say. You know what? That's Cleveland's. There, it's Cleveland's problem. I, it is. It's, it's a, and that's what situation. makes this a big story. Because if Kyrie stays, if he's comfortable, you want to try to lock him up again, maybe with a max deal, and then you build around him when LeBron leaves. But you know. It's problematic for Cleveland. That's what makes it a huge story. I don't think the huge story is Kyrie's a jerk or a diva. I don't care about that. The huge story is he's placing this franchise in a really bad spot by demanding this now. And that, there's an element of selfishness to that. He signed that deal. Yeah. All right. There's no argument there. Cleveland signs Derrick Rose as kind of a stopgap, which um, to me is not going to make much difference at all. Rose is a... On the downside of his career, um, was with the Knicks briefly, and now he moves on. But yeah. anyway, that's so. Where Kyrie. does Kyrie go then? Well, I don't know. I mean, the Knicks are one of his teams, and what what would the they get in return? I don't know if they have enough. Um, he's going to want to play for a good team. So, so when when, it, when the Knicks were on his list, it surprised me. 
Um, maybe he genuinely has a uh, you know a, a desire to play in the Big Apple. I, I don't know. But he wants to be featured, and that's problematic. Well, right? You can't well, go to San Antonio and no, be featured. He can certainly be featured in New York. Yeah, he would. Okay, you're right. He so, might not win anything. San Antonio, I mean... <laughs> Kawhi Leonard is your feature. That's an odd thing. I mean, it's a great team, so if he's seeking a championship... San Antonio is the team, but he will he will have to share time with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, right? he wouldn't. It, I mean, reports he wouldn't be the guy. No, reports are he wants to be the guy. So Knicks could be that team, and then and this and other. Anyway, that's that's the Kyrie story. It's it is shaking up Cleveland, and uh, but it didn't come as a, a would you, surprise. If you were Danny Ainge, would you trade Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving? Yeah, yes, I would. Would you do that if you were Cleveland? No, I ah, that's a much tougher tougher because now do we want. Would I want Kyrie Irving in the locker room? I think that's a no. Uh, would you trade interconference? I mean, you, are the, aren't the Celtics Isaiah close? Isaiah Thomas is a good player. I don't, I don't think he's Kyrie Irving, but no. if, if you know you have to get rid, get rid of Kyrie Irving because keeping him is going to cause trouble in your franchise, and that might be the best you get. It's an interesting. But even if he's going to a, uh, a conference, well, what ride, if you got? Let me put it this way: What if it was Isaiah? And this is the scenario that's been talked about: Isaiah Thomas, and then remember the Celtics have a bev, still a bevy of draft picks. What if it was Isaiah plus the picks? You trade now. Remember, you 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 might be turning the Celtics into a much much better team in a very very weak East. I think that's an interesting chess match. But Boston wasn't on his list, right, Kyrie? I don't think so. I don't think it is, but I don't know that Cleveland has to accede. No. He doesn't have a no trade no, clause. No, you're right. So they don't have to accede to his. You know list. what? I think keeping him in the conference might be a pretty. Rough decision if they do that. I don't know if they really want to do that, but if that's the if, if they get a deal with with Thomas and some draft picks, if that's the best deal they can get, they might overlook the fact that they got to play Kyrie many times, uh, you know, multiple times. And one of the games. other things that was brought up was trade LeBron too, get what you can now. The problem with that is LeBron has a no trade clause, and apparently he's not waving it. He's not waving it. Yeah, he's not waving, and that's another problem. Yeah. So anyway, all right, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Baseball. And some NFL training camps. Sit tight. We'll be back shortly. This is Sports Talk with Jeff and Mike. All right, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, last segment, a couple things. Um, we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball. Um, trade deadline approaching. Nice. In a week, right? Right. It looks like a week from now, we're going to know uh, what's going on with some big potential trades. Yeah, so what, hey, the Mets, are they buyers or what? Well, look, Remember, look, you, you I, had this team. They're sellers. Um, oh, it although didn't, they, it didn't they've been work winning. There's like five or six. They're really winning now, which scares me because I would think management might start to say, hey, we got a shot here when they really don't. Um, I, I think they're going to be sellers. And I think they're selling big time. Players like Duda, Granderson, Bruce, Cabrera, Walker, uh, Blevins, Addison Reed. I think all these guys might might go. I mean, they got, they got some ability. The Yankees are interested in the first baseman. Do they go for Duda? I mean, the Yankees and the Mets don't historically trade, but Duda would be nice in Yankee Stadium. Um, I mean, Jay Bruce having a very good year. Teams are going to want that guy. They're going to want Addison Reed as a as a closer or setup man. I think the uh, the Mets are going to be sellers. They're not catching anybody for the wild card or, or, or the Nationals. So you've um, called it. Let's I, just make sure we mark the I, audio. I, I think they'd be out of even if they win, if they sweep San Diego this week, they go to Seattle and win those games. They would Sandy Olson would be out of his mind to think that they have a chance. The reason is this team uh, they're scoring some runs, but they don't have the pitching they had the last two years. If they had that pitching, this would be a different story. They simply their pitching simply sucks. It's it not sucks. good. It's really bad. Injuries are not. So that's the difference there at the bottom. If they had the pitching like they did the last two years, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be saying this. The team would be above 500 in, in the running. I think the Mets, I think you have to say the Giants probably are the biggest disappointment of the season by far, but the Mets are a close second. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. And while the Cubs in the first half were a disappointment, they're on we fire. See, they've won 8 of 10. They're winning again today, or they've won – they're going to win that division. Actually, they won their tie with Milwaukee. I think they're going to win a division, Mike, and I think they're going to win it going away because the players who had – they have just too much talent who were not playing well the first half. They're by far, I think, the best team in that central division. And, you know, we were maybe writing them off the first half or, or I just think that they're going to be players in this thing. They're going to win a division. And I don't know about going away. 
I don't think there's anybody who's going to catch him. The Pirates are playing well, but I don't see anybody catching him. Well, I mean, look, Milwaukee's up a half game as of right now. Cubs, Pirates are two and a half. Cardinals, four. I mean, any one of those teams. I don't know that the Cubs will win going away. They don't. Just, their pitching is not as good as it was last year. Granted, it's it's they're they're going to be in the playoffs. They're they're going to win the division. I agree with you. Not sure win. about they going just away won today. By the way, so it's tough. Yeah, but they I, are not as they are not as deep. They are not as good as they were last year. I think they're they're almost the same team. If you look at their roster, they're not playing as well, but they really have a very very similar team. They don't have Chapman, but they have Wade Davis. I think it might be uh, good that I, they don't have Chapman. I, I, <laughs> I mean, well, let's talk about the uh, let's segue into the Yankees. So you and I have gone back and forth on the Yankees and Red Sox, and you seem to be higher on the Yankees. Um, so the Yankees have yeah. hit some hard hard skids. They're two games they behind the Sox, right? And, and but I, the Sox can't run away with it, and they should have, and they haven't been playing well either. No, no, right. They, well, they lost three in a row. I, I, look, the Yankees are coming back to earth as we kind of thought they were. The deficiencies in their pitching and, believe it or not, their bullpen at times has really stood out. Um, and the Tampa Bay Rays are nipping at their heels. I think it's going to be a September race, which you and I spoke about, which yeah. can be wonderful for baseball and Red Sox and Yankee rivalry. Um, I think the Red Sox have better pitching, and I think they have fewer holes in their lineup than the Yankees. Um, although you're going to talk about some of the Red Sox recent moves and their deficiency yeah. at third base. Well, look, first of all, kudos to Brian Cashman, again, who, who I still think is one of the best GMs in baseball. I always have. Um, look, the move for Frazier, Robertson, and Canley from Chicago, uh, great. Robertson's good. Robertson's, Robertson's good. very good. Frazier, I mean, he's, I think he has, he's low average. He's a he's, 200 yeah, hitter. He's a 200 hitter, but Frazier's not the centerpiece of that deal, right? right? It's Robertson. Robertson would have fit in real well in Boston. Um, yeah. And, and you got to wonder where was Dombrowski on that. Maybe Dombrowski's looking at some different needs. Um, third base is a black hole for the Red Sox. Um, they released Pablo Sandoval. Fifty million they ate. And I agree with releasing him. Oh my him, god! But yeah, forty. He's owed forty nine and a half a million. I mean, a huge bust. Dave Dombrowski didn't sign him. Ben Charrington did. I I want to believe that that was an ownership signing, not a Ben Charrington signing. But look, everybody makes mistakes. Theo Epstein signed Carl Crawford, and that's the second biggest bust in Red Sox history, next to Pablo Sandoval. So look, it's not science. And they had to release Pablo, but now it's Rafael Devers at third, who's the Red Sox number one yeah. prospect, um, and and may very well play well. I mean, he just got called up, so we're going to see. Yeah. But um, I think you you can't you're not going to go through the whole postseason with Devers at third. Red Sox have another problem; they've got a real clubhouse issue. Um, if you haven't heard, you know David Price is now not speaking to the media. Has there been a real problem? But on a charter flight to Seattle, I believe, this was about a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, um, Price went into a profanity-laced tirade against Dennis Eckersley. So for those of you that don't know, Eckersley, obviously Baseball Hall of Famer, 24 years in the game, battled alcoholism. I think he won an MVP. He's got a few Cy Youngs, got a World Series under his belt. I mean, just... He's done it all. Resurrected. A, he was a starter. One of the yeah, starter. Resurrected his career as Tremendous a reliever. Closer. Probably one of the greatest ever. Okay, so Eck, Eck is... He speaks his mind. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a commentator for, for Nesson, the New England Sports Network, which covers the Red Sox and is owned by the Red Sox. And he catches a little bit of flack from current players because he's very direct. He's not afraid to criticize. And that's his job, by the way. And I guess he made a comment about Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez and said they looked at a pitching line from Rodriguez and Eck said, wow, that stinks or something to that effect. Eck walks onto the team plane and David Price starts screaming, oh, look at him. He and this is from Dan Shaughnessy in The Globe, who got this story from some people that witnessed it, unnamed sources, said, oh, look at look at this guy. The game's not hard for him. The greatest pitcher that ever lived. You know, Eckersley went to go past him or to go talk to him, and he told him to get the fuck out of here. Eckersley went to the back of the plane, didn't do anything. Eckersley was – the players were in the middle of the plane. Eckersley was on his way to the front of the plane to – I don't know what he was going to do, and Price started in with him again. And told I, him, I heard he, some of the players ahead. were supporting Price. This is what I heard. Apparent, well, Price went after him, yeah. And they were, they were applauding him. They were him. applauding him. Eckersley came back. Price went at him again, said, get the fuck out of here. Um, you know, just really attacking Eckersley. That's problematic. And then Price has taken this stance, which is, I'm sticking up for my teammates, and if you don't like it, too bad. I have a lot of problems. Was with that. Price always 
like that. I, I thought know. he was a more level-headed guy with Tampa. Yeah. I, I didn't know that he was. I don't know. Maybe he just acted out of character. I he's I been. It's been very touchy with him in Boston. You know, look, we're, we're, look at where he's played. He's played in Toronto, Detroit, and Tampa. Not exactly. Big market. Yeah, not really tough media markets. Certainly not Tampa. They might have. What do they have? One beat reporter, maybe two. Um, Detroit. I mean, not not a major tough media market in Toronto. You know, again, baseball is not even the number one sport there. So I don't know. He's been very touchy since he's been in Boston. And I'm not saying the media is always correct. But Dennis Eckersley, Hall of Fame baseball player, gave up the Kirk Gibson home run, also won a World Series, has pitched no hitters, no hitter, multiple playoff games, Hall of Famer, who are you, David Price? What have you done? Let's look at your playoff record because it's not good. And and but let me ask you. I mean, an incident like this. This is your team. I mean, do you think it's going to have a major ripple effect? Yes. Why? I mean, why? Well, why does so, it have such an effect like that? A couple things. Sam Kennedy, the president of the Red Sox, and John Henry, the owner, sat down with Eckersley and apologized on behalf of the organization. Um, John Farrell, the manager, has not apologized to Eckersley. I think that's interesting. None of the players have apologized. So this this Red Sox clubhouse is sort of galvanized in the anti, I guess, I don't want to say anti-media, but sort of just anti-everyone. Price is, la- he's, he's not lashing out. He's just, he's really refusing to talk now. And it's interesting that that's the leadership path that these younger players are seeing and sort of choosing. Yeah, I think it's problematic. It's not there's, – there's nothing that Eckersley did that was wrong. That's his job. His job as an analyst. And by the way, if I sit there and I call out a player and the player wants to yell at me, more power to you because who the hell am I? I don't play baseball. I'm not, I don't know what it's like. But we're talking about Dennis Eckersley, Hall of Famer here. This guy knows what it's like. So I think it's problematic. The, the team has offensive holes. You know, they, they can't score runs. They just can't put teams away. They should be eight games ahead of the Yankees. Instead, that they're, instead they're two. Price is up and down. Pomerantz is pitching great. Yeah, the pitching is good. Chris Sale's great. I mean, and you, Porcello, you, you, you up and down. The is good. You're good. Look, I don't think they have the power, right? They don't have the home run power that, like, the Yankees do. Or but I think they have fewer holes than the Yankees. And this is ironic. Here I am thinking that your Red Sox are going to take this division, and you're pulling for the New York team, the Yankees. I, mean, I didn't say pulling, but, pulling you, but, but you I'm think they're going to win. I'm putting an analyst hat yeah, on. Yeah, right? I, yeah I I think trying the, to separate. I think the Sox are the best team in that division. And, um, but I do think and I hope that September comes and we have a really good race between these two teams. And maybe throw in the Rays. That would be great for Northeast baseball, the Red Sox and Yankees. Well, that raises a separate discussion, which is cons- consistently talked about in New England and came up a few weeks ago during the Sox-Yankees series, which is really that the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry is dead. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. So you it, think if, if they're really close in September, no one's going to care? No. I didn't say no one would care, but it's, it's never. Be. It's not the same as it was, and it never will be. First of all, th- first there's something about this Red Sox team that has failed to capture New England's attention. Ratings are down 20 percent and this team's in first place and they've been in first place for a while something about this team isn't right i'm telling you i I can't i wish i could give you the the analytics on it other than they don't score runs and they don't hit home runs and that will eventually catch up to you but the red sox yankees rivalry drew a terrible rating look there was a time we've talked about this but in 2003 you know the patriots are marching to a super bowl and all anyone cared about was a rod maybe coming to the red sox and that's gone right. so those days are gone this is the boston perspective but i would think and i'm i could say this with a lot more i think more confidence that in yankee stadium if there was a yankee red sox four weeks in september where they're battling for first especially since the yankees have not been that good lately i think it would be a huge draw from a new york perspective so maybe it's the Boston perspective and, and, and their allegiance with this team or something like you said. But I think, yeah. I, I think New York Red Sox, uh, uh, a Yankee-Red Sox rivalry and, and pennant race in September would be a huge draw at Yankee Stadium. I think. I don't think so. I think the Yankees have trouble drawing in Yankee Stadium to begin with. I think that's pretty well known. I don't think the passion – look, the teams don't hate each other anymore. And that's kind of consistent across sports. 
Red Sox-Yankees used to hate each other. I mean, we remember the Thurman Munson brawl back in, in the 70s. And even, and look, Manny Pedro and Don Zimmer. and, and Man, I mean, th- those teams hated each other. Could it be that because, doesn't exist anymore. Because maybe there were more polarizing personalities back then. No and, doubt. Right? I mean, even as recently with A-Rod and, and, and Veritech and there was fights. There's, there were more, I think right now, maybe there's not those, those that, that nasty, that polarizing personality there. That lead where you think that there might be a brawl, or you know that one team really, really hates one guy and the other team, and vice versa. I don't think we have. That. Well, I I also really think 2004, and then winning in with the way they won in four in 2004. I mean that ended that all that basically was the nail in the coffin. I mean even the World Series that year, and I was a big part of that in my life. Right, was anticlimactic. To not just beating the Yankees, it was the comeback. And then, and then to win again in 07, then to win again in 13, and the Yankees won in 09, but that 09 wasn't that big of a deal, frankly. I mean, I know it was a World Series, but I shrugged it off. I was like, oh, that's fine. I, I don't feel it, and I know, paying attention to the Boston media, it's talked about a, a lot. I'm not making this up. Nobody, apparently, in New England, they don't feel it anymore either. Which is weird, because I'm, I, I, from what I gather and what I've read and heard in Chicago with the Cubs— the bad first half, now that they're playing well, fans are going crazy supporting their team. And you would think yeah. that maybe after 100 years, the same letdown would happen, but it doesn't seem to be happening there. So I don't know what well, – well, maybe it's the love of the Patriots. That's – Okay. And okay. There's, there's not the same love for the Bears me, in Chicago. Let me tell you, I think – well, I think it's a couple of things. In 05, Red Sox fans were rabid for this team. They couldn't get enough of them. So the comparison to the Cubs doesn't quite fit. Let's see if the Cubs win two or three more – I'm telling you, the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry will not be as great because the Cubs finally caught them. That, Mike. I don't know I think about we that. want it to be, but it won't be. I'm uh, telling you, it won't be. I, don't, I think it's maybe a unique thing to Boston. No, I'm not so sure. I mean, you can only, once you – there was a big article about this after the Cubs fans won. After the Cubs won, several Boston commentators said to Cubs fans, enjoy it now because it'll never be the same. And you know what? I didn't believe that. It's never been the same with the Red Sox. Where at, and I, here's the other thing that you brought up, though. I think the Patriots have a lot to do with it. Because for some reason, with the Patriots, no matter, what, no matter how much they win, it's, it's, in, it's exciting every year. Now, maybe that's just because football is king. But it all could be what you said, personalities, right? The Patriots yeah. are the villains, right? Belichick, Brady, the world's yeah. against him, and that's a whole storyline. I mean, maybe if they won and it was Jacoby Brissett and no one cared. I, I don't know. But well, what if they go 10-6 and six and get ousted this year? Would it would be a be, tremendous disappointment. And then would suddenly baseball, would there be more interest in the Red Sox? I don't think so. And I'm not saying Boston doesn't care about the Red Sox. I'm saying the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry is nowhere near what it used to be. It just isn't. What made that rivalry so amazing and so great was that the Red Sox would get oh-so-close and they would always lose to the Yankees. And then not only did they finally beat the Yankees, which is cool, they came back from death's doorstep, did something that had never been done before, and you can have your 27 or 28 titles, New York, we'll take the 03 comeback every day. And that, and that, that was it. And I, I want to hear maybe from Yankee fans. Yeah. I'm not a Yankee fan, although I, uh, I am a New Yorker. I want to know if the if the maybe if there a lack of that rivalry of the feeling in New York or is it intense, especially with the Yankees not being the powerhouse the last few years. If they're chasing the Red Sox or or the Red Sox are chasing the Yankees, if it's close in September, I'd love love to hear from Yankee fans to see is it a strong rivalry in Yankee Stadium? Is it still bringing Does New York extra care? appeal? Does see, I I think I mean I think the Yank look the Yankees are always going to be the Yankees. I feel I've always felt like in the Red Sox Yankee rivalry. Red Sox fans, we were, we cared about it so much more than New York did because they won. They had so much history and so Evil many Empire. titles. Yeah, they were just like they were like you know what they were for a period of time. They were the Patriots, and the Red Sox were yeah. you know someone yeah. else. And they would look around and be like, "Yeah, that's great, yeah. good for you," you know. And and, and I kind of get that now. I think you know, but you make up a very good point. What Yankee fans, if you're out there and you're listening to us, get in touch. JM Sports Podcast at gmail.com or drop us a note on our Facebook page at JM Sports Podcast. What do you think of this rivalry? Is it still a rivalry? My position is it's not. We'll find out. I, I know some Yankees. That's a great point. I have some very good friends, Yankee fans, I'm going to reach out do to. They give it, do they care? Yeah, I'm going to. Speaking of real quick of baseball, Mike, we, we know we had a, uh, two, two major injuries over the weekend. 
to some top-notch pitchers. The uh, Strasburg left early for the Nationals. Not expected to be that serious, but the Los Angeles Dodgers, and this happened last year, right? Kershaw got hurt. That was early. Kershaw having a monster Cy Young Award season gets hurt. And um, and then that is a huge thing. Now, he, I've heard six to eight weeks. So this takes us maybe two months, right? So we're talking to, to the end of the season. Will he even be back for the playoffs? I mean, Dodgers are way, way ahead, but that's a huge... Now, the Dodgers have the best pitching staff in baseball. They lose Kershaw. They still have some very good pitchers behind them. But a major, major factor. I don't think anybody's catching the Dodgers, but we've got to consider a guy who's 15-2 and two, um, out for possibly the rest of the season. You're Andrew Friedman. What do you do? I don't think you panic. I mean, this team is so good. They have... They have Wood, and, 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 and they have Rich Hill, and they have a tremendous bullpen, a great pitching staff, the best by far in baseball. You don't panic. However, because you don't know when Kershaw's going to come back. You miss Kershaw for the playoffs, Dodgers are no longer the NL favorite. But I, uh, you know, we're hoping he's going to be back. I don't think you panic. This team is too good. Um, Do you make a move for a Verlander? Who's on the block, apparently. Oh, I know he's on the block. I think the whole damn Detroit team is on the block. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, what, let, me, let me add this wrinkle. Well, I don't know what, 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 they, what kind of uh, cost it would be to get a Verlander. Well, I don't think, from, I'm not sure cost from, matters too from, much to the Dodgers. From a, from a minor league perspective, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, okay, fair point. Let me ask you this, though. Kershaw, probably don't need him in the regular season anymore. I mean, you're up 11.5 on Arizona and Colorado, although both those teams are good. And we'll be battling for a wild card. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, Kershaw has not exactly been a, a whirlwind in the playoffs. No, he hasn't. So injury, And there's a good enough sample size. Yeah, injury or not, he's going to be questioned in, in the playoffs. But I but think... Verlander has. That's, look, if they can get a Verlander... I mean, and the guys who are backing Kershaw up, you know, Alex Wood and Rich Hill, very good pitchers, but also not experienced necessarily in the playoffs. Oh look! If you can get a Verlander for that staff, I mean that's a very good name to pick uh, to 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 mention. I'm, I'm thinking that other pitchers as well. If Verlander is available and you're not giving up too much, my God, um, he he'd be the guy. I mean, and, even what he is now, eighty percent or seventy five percent of what he was, he's well, still. You take it and glide into the playoffs. Rest Kershaw because with Verlander taking that spot, you're going to glide into the into the playoffs, and hopefully Kershaw will be ready. So this is a very very good Dodger team who before this injury. Uh, the best team in the National League, and I would say go into the World Series. But but a Verlander pickup, I think next Tuesday when we have this uh, podcast, we're going to have some really, really big surprises. I don't think the Nationals do anything with their Strasburg. stars. He's, he's, he's going to miss a few starts. Their bullpen is weak. Well, and Addison Reed, believe it or not, uh, Mets might wind up in Washington, even though it's, it's a rival, but they would have to give up a lot. Strasburg, nine, eight, eight or nine, tri- nine, eight trips to the DL yeah. in nine seasons, right? Not at, not at all reliable. Don't you have to make a move? If you're, I mean, you have to go for it if you're the Nationals, No. Yeah, I don't think Strasburg's injury is, is, is something where they have to make a big move. Look, they got, they, they got Max Scherzer, Gio Gonzalez, uh, both having really good seasons. And then an offense which I haven't seen the likes of since, well, since the Red Sox from last year. That's the, that's the kind of yeah. uh, power and batting average that they're putting up. I don't think that, that you freak out. Strasburg's injury, from my understanding, is not that serious. If he was gone for the season, I'd change my tune. And uh, they might be bidding for Verlander too, but I don't, I don't think Washington does anything except maybe got to fix the bullpen, pick up a closer, got to fix your bullpen, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, National League is loaded right yeah. now. It looks like I don't see that in the American League, but you know, I mean, it'd be interesting. Is Kansas City going to uh, Kansas City buyers or sellers? They're- Kansas City one of the hottest teams. Look, the, the AL Central is really weak. I, th- I think they are buyers because anybody could win that, except for the White Sox. Anybody could win that AL Central, I think. And Kansas City, I mean, guys like Mike Moustak is having crazy, crazy years. Here's the big thing. The Houston Astros, believe it or not, as good as they are, they were looking to still add one more starter, although Dallas Keuchel is supposed to be coming back. For, for the whole season, they, don't, they didn't have that one guy. If you go into a playoff game, Astros didn't have that one guy who can really be a stud starter. If Keiko comes back, he might be the guy. By the by the way, Jose Altuve up to three sixty five batting average, stealing bases, hitting for power. He's become my my MVP right now. Yeah, of Aaron Judge and watch out also for uh, the Rockies and um, Nolan Arenado, who's been out of his mind. Eighty six RBIs. Look, Houston Astros, I think, could end up being like your O one Mariners, one hundred and change in wins and out and then, in round one. They could be. I don't think they have that that star ace or two. Keiko would have been it. Keiko would have been it, and then a bunch of good pitches. But if they're going against a Cleveland, let me tell you. 
the Indians are still stronger, I think, in, as, in pitching. And that would be my team to, uh, if they get into the playoffs and win that division, still my sleeper to win the, the AL crown because I think they have more experience and better pitching than the Astros. Yeah, I, can't, I don't disagree with that. I think I had the Yankees earlier in the year. I'm going to stick with that until it's over, but I agree. Um, all right, everybody. That's gonna that's a wrap for this week, I think. Other than football is yeah. really here, man. So training camps, I, I'm I think you got rookies reporting. I know I look, I know yeah. I know Brady reported a camp yesterday or two days ago. Um so I think teams have opened camp. next week everything officially opens, yeah. which is you know, huge. So next week we will be talking NFL training camp for sure. And, and Major League Trades. Those two are going to be trades. the hottest topics. Uh, first uh, Hall of Fame game is a week from Thursday, I believe. So it's right around the corner. Appointment TV. Oh, man. You know, even though... <laughs> e- 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 even At least though, for the first Yeah, the first quarter. two, two, two Just sets of downs. Yeah. But it's football, right? It's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. football, 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 more football. And don't forget um, college. We're not, we're not ignoring college football. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. In fact, um, one of my good friends had brought up, you know, University of Florida, by the way, we do have to talk about this next week, just signed five-star recruit. I don't have his name in front of me, but Florida has now got three five-star quarterbacks. It's going to be really interesting to see what McElwain does in Gainesville with these three studs. Can't keep all three, I don't think. Um, and so yeah, I think that's a, that'll probably be a nice way to, to kick off the college football discussion because it's both football and five-star quarterbacks. And, and it's local. It's, it's and what's local. So what's better than that? We're working on a few guests, everybody. So um, please keep paying attention. Check the Instagram, Facebook. Thank you, everybody. Listen, if you like what you hear or if you don't like what you hear, frankly, um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It takes all of five seconds to do it. It's tremendously important to us. Um, what do you, anything else, Jeff? No, it's good to be back. Uh, summer is in the, we're in the middle of summer, but we've got a lot starting, and football is here. Fantasy football is here. NFL, college, we'll be ready to talk about it the next, uh, well, pretty much the rest of the year. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We will have shows weekly from here all the way through to the Super Bowl. So um, stick with us. It's going to be a great ride, everyone. Thank you. Thanks.